intro up. You guys can be seated. Thank you so much. I'm so excited for you guys to hear from Alex Kranjek tonight. I'm saying your last name right, right? No one pronounces Hanovich right, so uh, I figured you ran into the same thing. So I heard that there was another Alex planting in the area, starting a church, and he also had a weird last name. And I was like, it must be something about this area. It just draws people with a first name Alex, last name something Eastern European. And uh, so this must be the area for that. And so we connected up, we started praying together, meeting together, and I just fell in love with his heart and his passion for church and ministry in the area. And he is, I um, can very easily say, the better Alex of the two. He's like Alex 2.0. So you guys are in for a treat. I've been trying to get him out here for a while. He's a busy guy. Uh, he's working a job in the school district. He's excited and passionate about working in the community. And so I'm excited for him to continue our series uh, tonight. So I'm going to invite him to come up and give him a good hand as he comes. Mind if I move this forward just a notch? Yeah, go for it. Trip, trip, where trip are you this, uh... Good, good. What is it, evening? I'm so used to church in the morning. This is really, this is really cool, right? Hey, so um, any fathers here? Happy Father's Day to you. Father's Day. Uh, my two uh, girls, Anna and Sarah, here. My wife, Jacqueline, and my mom is here. Uh, so happy Father's Day. This isn't really a Father's Day message, um, but I'm actually, I actually think that there's a um, generation of. Uh, and is it? I think we're desperate for a generation of fathers who would know themselves and know God. And um, I think tonight's message is actually, would really speak to fathers. So, um, let's let's read, if you want to know more about me, you can look me up online or find my Facebook, or I'll give you a business card if you want to call me. I don't really need to go into anything else about me. Uh, thank you, Alex, for the introduction. Um, I've, um, really, no, I've really enjoyed our, our connection thus far, and you guys have an awesome pastor, and I just want to applaud you and just, you know, say that I'm proud of you, God's proud of you, uh, all of you, what you're doing here. This is valuable work, even though it might feel slow and treacherous and discouraging at times. Uh, God is for you, and uh, Horizon Church, whether it's in Havertown or Bryn Mawr, wherever it is, it's, it's needed and it's valuable. So, um, you know, the last church that was started in Havertown was in 1957. And so, not that the churches like Grace and others that have been here for a while aren't valuable or important, but uh, we need new expressions, new work of, of God in our communities. And these are great communities, um, so good job. Keep it up, all right? Good job. Everybody that's involved, I applaud you. I bless you. Um, so, hey, can we, can we go? We're in this series. Uh, I don't even know the name of it. Horses, horns, and something, so... <laughs> um, maybe you have a Bible with you and want to turn to 1 Samuel 14. Um, maybe you have a phone or whatever, or it'll be on the screen. Um, could we just stand together? Is that cool? Uh, uh, as we read God's Word this morning, this evening. I might say that a few times. My brain is wants to say morning. So uh, Let's go to 1 Samuel 14. We'll start at verse number 1. So one day Jonathan, the son of Saul, said to the young man who carried his armor, Come, let us go over to the Philistine garrison on the other side. 
But he did not tell his father, Saul. See, Saul was staying in the outskirts of Gibbeth, in the pomegranate cave at Migram. The people who were with him were about 600 men, including Ahiah, the son of Adu, Ichabod's brother, so-and-so, Eli, the priest. These guys were all with him, okay? You get the point, right? Um, <laughs> and the people did not know Jonathan had gone. Um, I'm going to jump over here. So Jonathan said to verse 6, Jonathan said to the young man who carried his armor, Come, let us go over to the garrison of these uncircumcised. It may be that the Lord will work for us, for nothing can hinder the Lord from saving by many or by few. And his armor bearer said to him, Do all that is in your heart. Do as you wish. Behold, I am with you, heart and soul. Then Jonathan said, Behold, we will cross over to the men, and we will show ourselves to them. If they say to us, Wait until we come to you, then we will stand still in our place, and we will not go up to them. But if they say, Come up to us, then we will go up, for the Lord has given them into our hand, and this shall be a sign to us. So both, the, so both of them showed themselves to the garrison of Philistines. And the Philistines said, Look, Hebrews are coming out of the holes where they have hidden themselves. And the men of the garrison hailed Jonathan and his armor bearer, and said, Come up to us, and we will show you a thing. And Jonathan said to his armor bearer, Come up after me, for the Lord has given them into the hand of Israel. Then Jonathan climbed up on his hands and feet, and his armor bearer after him, and they fell before Jonathan, and his armor bearer killed them after him. And, and that first strike, which Jonathan and his armor bearer made, killed about 20 men within, as it were, half a furrow's length and an acre of land. And there was a panic in the camp, in the field, and among all the people. The garrison and even the raiders trembled, and the earthquake, and it became a great panic. Let's pray together. Jesus, I thank you for your word tonight. This is not just a book, a textbook, or a novel, but it's the living and active word of God. So we thank you that it has something to speak to the depths of our being tonight. And I pray that you would open our ears, open our eyes to see, to hear, to understand. And may the words of my mouth and the meditations of my heart be pleasing to you, O oh God, my rock and my redeemer. Amen. You guys can be seated. Yo, we love a good underdog story, right? Any Phillies, Eagles fans, any, any, any Eagles fans here? I know there's some folks from out of town, but come on, like, just in light of what the Eagles just did, right? Um, we love an underdog story here in Philadelphia. And... Um, you know what made the Eagles' victory even better? Is that they were like all genuinely good guys, right? I mean, and they were a team. You guys know what I'm talking about? They were, I'm not saying they were all saints or anything like that, but there was this integrity that this team exuded, right? The good guys won. Like, how, how often are we used to, like, the good guys losing, right? But here, the good guys won, and, it, and, and they upset the evil empire, you know, the patriots, right? Um, and they did it with a lot of wisdom and a lot of character. And it's a lot like what happened here in 1 Samuel 14, right? This is Samuel, a, a, a story of a, of a man named Jonathan who defies the odds and puts a whooping on the evil empire, the Philistines. The story goes on to say that that, that camp erupted in, in, in panic and the Philistines turned on themselves. So not only did he take out just 20 men, the whole army sort of turned against itself. But this isn't just a story of a military victory or one man's bravery. This, is, this isn't just about like pulling up our bootstraps and fighting with all our might. No, this is a call to deeply know ourselves and know God. 
Let me just paint a little background for you. Israel and the Philistine army were in a military conflict, right? So Israel looks like it's defeated. They look like they're done. They, the victory for them seems impossible, right? They were, they were outnumbered, and the Philistines possessed it. They had a greater intelligence and a greater technology. See, they were, they, they were, they were the better army. And, and for all intents and purposes, the Israel army looked like they were done. They were the underdogs. Even, even Saul is out of it. We read that he's, it says he's hanging out under a pomegranate tree. So Saul, he's the king, right? And, and him and his army chaplain, essentially, are sitting under a tree in light of this massive military conflict. It's not something that you would imagine that a, a king or a commander-in-chief ought to be doing, right? He's kind of paralyzed. When his army desperately needed a victory, he's just hanging out under the shade of a tree. It seems as if he's given up. Look, there are enemies in our life that we're facing tonight, right? There are situations in all of our lives, think for a moment, where it appears as if the odds are against you. But in every one of those situations, it's not so much about the battle that you're facing. So much as it's about what the battle is revealing about our hearts. It's, it's what is that battle, what is that conflict revealing about what is happening inside? About what we believe about God and ourselves. Just a few chapters later in 1 Samuel 16, David is being anointed king. So David is the next king of Israel. And, and, and it says this. It says, the Lord said to Samuel, who was anointing David, for the Lord sees a man. See, Samuel looked at David and said, this guy, you really, you really picked this guy, Lord? He looked nothing like Saul was the quintessential, you know, king, right? He had the looks. He had the... He had the stature. He had everything. But David, he was just a boy. And, and, and so the Lord says to Samuel, For the Lord sees not as a man sees. Man looks on the outward appearance, but the Lord looks on the heart. You see, the way of God, the, the way of God's kingdom invites us to, to move from being people that are concerned with what's happening on the outside. You know, that battle that we're facing, or the circumstances, or the failures, or the successes of life. It, 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 it causes us, it invites us to move from being people concerned with what's happening on the outside to who we are becoming on the inside. To who we are becoming on the inside. See, this story, it does deal with heroic action. And there is this, there's, there's, no, there's no doubt about it, there's a, this action that's taking place where this man is going up against 20, you know, incredibly um, capable soldiers. But it's, it's an action that really begins with the work of God on the inside. Here we see Saul and Jonathan are both facing the same circumstances. They're both up against the same realities, right? One decides to cower in fear and veg out, while the other rises up in faith. So what is it that distinguishes these two men? You know, the biggest enemy we face is ourselves biggest enemy we face is ourselves. Yeah, the battle that day was against the Philistines, but the war was about what, what was taking place on the inside. I, I've been reading this book. It's called Psalms for Praying. It's like a little devotional that takes the Psalms and turns them into prayer-type language. And I love what the author does, right? This, this author takes some of the, the, the references in the book of Psalms where it says, like, if you've ever read any of the book of Psalms, there's all this language about my enemies, 
right? I mean, my, so, something happened to my enemies, or deliver me from my enemies, right? And it takes that language and it replaces it with things like my pride or my ego. So instead of saying, like, let the evil of the wicked come to an end, it says, oh, let the terrible fears that keep me from loving come to an end. Did you catch that? Or, or instead of saying, deliver me from my enemies, oh my God, protect me from those who rise against me, it says, awaken me from my fears, oh my beloved. Give me strength to face them as they rise up within me. See, what the author is doing is moving the location of the enemy from something external to something internal. See, the real enemies of our souls is not what's happening to us or around us, it's what's happening in us. It's the ego. It's our pride. It's what is called the false self. The false self. It's our belief in the lie that we don't need God. That, and everything else stems from that, friends. You know, you might have some relational conflict or addiction or pain or grief or pressure to perform, succeed. Maybe you're raising children or whatever it is. All of these situations, they act as mirrors, right? And they expose what's really in our lives. They expose what we really believe in where we put our trust and what we believe of God. Every crisis of faith, every conflict, every battle will reveal what we believe about God and about ourselves. Most of us, friends, have a cover story. We have a cover story. We believe something about us and about God that's probably more a result of our family of origin or our upbringing or our circumstances or our experience. C.S. Lewis calls this the false self. The self in fallen state. See, Saul? Saul was living out of a cover story. He was living out of a false self. He's ruled by his insecurities and by his fears. Man, he's all over the place. At first, he's out of it. He's given up, right? We see him hanging out under the tree. And, and then when Jonathan gets in on the battle, we didn't read it, but what happens is, is Saul finally comes out and goes, oh, I better get involved in this thing. <laughs> and, and then he tries to get in on the action, and he ends up, he ends up offending God in the process because he shortchanges what God wants him to do. I mean, he's all over the place. He's, he's filled with... with all this insecurity and fear and uncertainty, while Jonathan, on the other hand, is grounded. He's confident. He's filled with faith. He's certain of who God is and who God says he is. He was more connected with his true self than the false self that Saul operated out of. See, when faced with the crisis of faith, Saul, he was sidelined by his ego and by his insecurities. Listen to what Jonathan says. In verse 6 we read, it says, Jonathan said to the young man who carried his armor, Come! Let us go over to the garrison. Let us go over to that little encampment right there. And he says, of these uncircumcised. Of these uncircumcised. See, Jonathan knows who he is. Who he belongs to. See, unlike the Philistine, Jonathan sees himself as part of the circumcised. You see, circumcision uh, was, was just a sign of being part of God's family, right? It was the Old Testament sign, the Israel sign, that you were part of the family of God. So when he looks over there and sees the Philistines and goes, oh, look, look at those uncircumcised. It's really a statement of, of, of acknowledging his faith in who he was as a part of God's family. So I question for you. As a follower of Jesus, do you know who you are? 
Do you know who you are? See, the false self, that cover story, it has something to say about you. The cover story that you're operating now, is, it has something to say, it has something to tell you. But do you know who you are as being part of the family of God? Ephesians 1 says, God decided in advance to adopt us into his own family by bringing us to himself through Jesus Christ. Friends, you are adopted into God's family. So who are you? Who are you? Who are you? You are adopted into God's family through Jesus Christ. You're a child of God. You need to know who you are. You need to know who you are. Like Jonathan, you need to know who you are. Uh, let, let me remind you, if you might have forgotten, which we do all the time. Uh, by the way, I have, a, I have this like page of 90 of these statements that I, sometimes I forget to do this, but I try to read these to myself daily, because I need to be reminded of who I am. Because there's all sorts of things in life that are trying to tell me who I am. Okay, so you need to know who you are. So, so some of them are, John 1 says you're a child of God. John 15 says you're clean. You're clean. Romans 8 says you're a joint heir. You get to share in all of the family stuff, the inheritance of God. Well, 1 Corinthians 2 says you've been given the mind of Christ. Now I have a new way of thinking. Uh, 1 Corinthians 12 says you're a member of Christ's body. I'm part of a whole new family. Uh, 2 Corinthians 5 says you're a new creation. The old self has been crucified. That false self is, is put on Christ. I don't have to live into that false self anymore. Galatians 3 says you're a son. Now ladies, let me just tell you something. Uh, Paul, when he was writing, he, he's writing to a group of men and women. And he's calling them all sons. And it's radical. It's actually incredibly inclusive. See, sometimes we take that language and we say, well, you're a son and a daughter. And you are a daughter in the sense that you are a woman, right? But I want you to understand what Paul's saying here. He's saying you're a son, meaning in that day, a son was the, the firstborn son was the one who received all of the family inheritance. Okay? So for Paul to say to a bunch of men and women, you're sons, it's to say... All of God's family you have access to. All that God's inheritance you have access to. So it's actually an incredibly inclusive statement. Do you follow me? So yes, you're a, you're a child or you're a daughter of Christ, but, but know that you have access to all of God's resources and promises and all that He is. Ephesians 1 says you're chosen. Ephesians 2 says you're God's workmanship. You're valuable. You're handiwork. You're not worthless. Uh, Philippians 4.13 says you're capable. Uh, Colossians 1 says you're redeemed, you're forgiven, the debt has been canceled. Colossians 1 says you're blameless. You don't have to walk around in shame and guilt. You're blameless, you're free. Co Colossians 2 says you're complete in Christ. Colossians 3 says you're dearly loved. Oh, we need to hear that. 1 John 3 says you're a child of God and you will resemble Christ when he returns. 1 John 5 says you have life. I could go on and on. Friends, do you know who you are? Do you know who you are? We've, we've, we've heard of some terrible uh, suicides in our culture, haven't we, recently? And I wonder, do they know who they are? Or what is available to them in Jesus Christ? Do you know who you are? Jonathan knew he was. He knew he was so much. Listen to what happened. The, the Philistine says, hey, look, the Hebrews are coming out of the holes. I mean, and then he says, and then they say, come on up here and we will show you a thing. Oh, the, the, these these Brutal Philistines are calling them animals. And they're saying, yo, get up here. Let us teach you a lesson. 
They're bullying them. Friends, something or someone will try to tell you who you are. Maybe it's a parent, maybe it's a boss, maybe it's a friend, maybe it's a career, maybe it's our culture. Something is trying to tell you who you are. Jonathan knew who he was. He was able to stand in the midst of the accusation and the lies of the false self. He was grounded in the truth of who he was. Sometimes to know yourself, sometimes knowing our true self, right? We have to go back. Sometimes we have to go backwards to go forwards. Um, we have to know how we got where we are. Like what is what has contributed to me right here today? Um, we have to become sort of acquainted with our weakness. Henry Nowen says we have to befriend our brokenness. Befriend your brokenness. See, Saul, he's clearly unaware of his brokenness. He's unaware of his insecurities and fears. He's not thinking about that. You can read Psalm 51. David is the, often the, the one that's sort of contrasted with Saul. And David is totally different than Saul. He was deeply in touch with his inner self. He was aware of what was going on inside of him. And I see that in Jonathan, too. You know, friends, I think we are so out of touch with who we are. I think we are so out of touch with who we are. We are pretending, you know, pretending to be something that we are not is really the way of our world. Right? Listen, po politicians do it to get our votes. I mean, do you really know who they are? Like, I don't know. Business leaders do it to generate profits and attract investors. Um, magazine editors, they airbrush photos to make models look more perfect and beautiful than they really are. Friends, we are so, I don't even know what, like, like have you ever just sat back and said, like, what is real? What is real? We are so good at pretending. I think we need an awareness of ourself. Augustine wrote, how can you draw close to God when you are far from your own self? How, how can we draw close to God when we are far, when we have no acknowledgement, no understanding of who we are? And see, as we confess our false self, as we become aware of who we are, maybe what's gone into, who, what's made me? How, how come I'm like the way I am? When we, when we, when we face that, we actually open up space for God to define us by Christ. It's like taking off a garment. Uh, Ephesians 4 says, put off your old self, which belongs to your former manner of life. Be renewed and put on the new self, created after the likeness of God. Romans 13 says, rather clothe yourselves. Which you, you get this imagery? Take off, put on, clothe yourself. See, the idea is you can't wear two sets of clothes. Can you? I mean, you could, but that would be weird. <laughs> uh, actually, a lot of us do that. We put on Jesus, we put on Christ, without taking into effect, into consideration of who we are, and into our old ways of thinking and relating and viewing the world. And see, the invitation of Jesus is to just, isn't just to change some of your behavior on the surface. It's not just to brush off the dirt of the garments you're wearing. It's, it's to put on an entirely new set of clothes. But I fear many of us, we're just content. Let um, me just, just change, let me modify the appearance of things. No, it's who are we underneath? Charles Spurgeon, one of my favorite quotes, he says, The Lord cannot stand with us on the platform of seeming and appearance, but only on the ground of what we really are. And therefore, in proportion as we are untrue, 
we cut ourselves off from God. He can't stand with us on the platform of, us, of our appearance and just how things seem. The Lord can only deal with us as we really are. He's in the business of making us new. And, and in order to do that, He must deal with us as we really are. And the, and the extent at which we, we pretend and we try to act as if we are not, we actually cut ourselves off from God. Anyone ever heard of Joe DiMaggio? Got some nods. So he's a pretty legendary baseball player for the Yankees. Um, some said he was the greatest baseball player of the 20th century. I mean, crowds would erupt every time he entered a room. News reporters praised his talent. He was treated as if he was a god. You get the whole, you get the whole idea of how our culture does this, right? And then he had this sort of, sort of final jewel uh, of his earthly crown when one of the most beautiful women of the day, Marilyn Monroe, married him. Uh, so he had it all. And uh, after his death, a devastating biography came out. It, was, it, it revealed that his image management, right up to his death at 83, was all a mess. Uh, his, his image that he had concocted, it hid that he was really an egocentric, competitive, greedy, selfish man driven by power and money. Uh, in, in the biography of uh, Richard Kramer, he talks of the flatness of Joe's life because of his commitment to, quote, show nothing but a shiny surface of his own devising. Anyone who attempted to penetrate that surface was met with silence and exclusion or rage. And I quote, it says, The story of Joe DiMaggio, the icon, was well known. But the story of Joe DiMaggio, the man, had been buried. And who knows? Who knows what was happening under the surface? I doubt that he knew himself. His life was really a tragedy and a lie. Trapped within the layers of the false self. Never free to be who God made him. Friends, truly knowing God begins with knowing ourselves. Jonathan knew who he was. He was also grounded in the truth of who God is. So my second question for you is, who is God? Who is God? He said in verse 6, we'll read it again. Jonathan said to the young man, let us go over there. He uncircumcised. It may be that the Lord will work for us, for nothing can hinder the Lord. I believe Pastor Alex quoted this last week. A.W. Tozer says, What comes into our mind when we think about God is the most important thing about us. I wonder if our view of God is too small. Jonathan looked at an impossible situation and he said, Nothing can hinder the Lord. Nothing can hinder the Lord. Nothing is too big for the Lord. You know, is it possible that when Jonathan looked at the Philistine army perched up on their position of advantage, that he remembered a verse, in, a story that we can read in, J in Judges 3.31 about Shamgar. Shamgar. Well, Shamgar killed 600 Philistines. Surely Jonathan would have known about that. So maybe he remembered that day when looking at that group of Philistines, oh, if Shamgar could do it, so could I. If God was faithful then, he'll be faithful now. Or maybe he remembered God's promise in Leviticus 26, which says, five of you shall chase a hundred, and a hundred shall chase ten thousand, and your enemies shall fall by, by the sword. Or maybe he remembered the stories of the battles like of Gideon and Samson. See, Jonathan knew who God was. 
He remembered God's history and His promises. When you look at the impossibilities of life, the failures, the pain, the crisis, remember who God is. Remember who God is. Friends, we need eyes of faith. Eyes of faith that when we look at those impossibilities, we don't see it through the lens of the fear and the doubt and the unbelief, but through the lens of God's story and God's promises. We um, moved to Havertown a year ago, um, but we've been in a journey for over two years toward planting a church. And Alex, you certainly know it's a long journey and it sometimes can be lonely and discouraging. And, and um, uh, we were... We were serving at a church, and I was one of the pastors there, and I knew it was time to leave. It was very clear to us it was time to move on. And um, we, we, we started to pursue this, this dream, this vision of church planting. And um, long story short, we, we reached a season that was incredibly painful for us because no door was opening for us. There seemed to be no apparent way where God would, would, would break through and make a way for this dream to happen. We even went, and I was asked to come and and be considered as a, a candidate for a lead pastor role at a church. And, and um, they, they essentially, um, they, their congregation essentially decided not to uh, select us. So we, we had dealt with a lot of pain. That was a three-month process. And, and we're, we're sitting there in the midst of a bunch of depression and sort of like going, God, we know we're supposed to move on from where we are, but there seems to be no apparent open door. And I got an email from a, a, somebody at my church and he was sending us a, a written account of his testimony, how God had healed him of cancer three times. And I knew a little bit of his story, and I kind of brushed off the email. Was, this, this guy was a little strange. <laughs> and uh, I was like, ah, I'll get to that some other time. And, and sort of out of some guilt, I read this email, because I knew I'd see him at church. And I said, well, i got to read it so I could talk to him and say, hey, thanks for the email, you know. And, and, and I read this email, and I began to weep, because God had began to, to share with me how... I had lost my faith and how I had been seeing my situation through fear, doubt, and unbelief. And I had forgotten who God was. And I remember very clearly God spoke to me and said, I am restoring your eyes of faith. I am restoring your eyes of faith. You see, friends, while nothing can hinder the Lord, God's will is restrained when we lack faith. God chooses to partner with us. I don't have time to get into it, but from the very beginning, we were made, all of us, humankind, to be stewards and cultivators in partnership with God so that this planet can flourish. Jonathan could have tried the whole fire from heaven thing, but he, he had a vision of how God wanted to partner with him. E.M. Bounds says men are God's method. You and me are God's method. Empowered by the Spirit, we are God's way in which He accomplishes the healing of the world. You see, faith is the vehicle of God's will on earth. Faith is the vehicle of God's will on earth. Faith, it opens up space for the prayer Jesus prayed, Your kingdom come and your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. There's this crazy verse in Matthew chapter 13. Jesus had left his hometown. He was visiting his hometown. And Matthew writes, and he did not do many mighty works there because of their unbelief. 
It's crazy to me to think that Jesus was in a way restrained. He didn't do mighty works there because of their unbelief. Hebrews 11 tells us without faith it's impossible to please God. See, faith is the means at which God accomplishes His will on earth. <clears throat> it's faith that God could take 12 crazy, um, ragtag group of guys and 2,000 years later we're sitting here worshiping Jesus and the church continues to be built throughout the world. That's faith. It's faith as the means that which God accomplishes His will on earth. Yes, He's a sovereign God, but He's Yes, he's big, he's in charge, but he's also looking for those who would pay attention and slow down and truly know him. So who are you? Who is God? And I have one last question for you this evening. Is there space in your life? It's kind of an odd question. But you see, God is particularly present in the silence and in the waiting space of our lives. Jonathan makes an interesting statement here in verse 6. Jonathan said to the young man, we read this a few times, Come, let us go over to the garrison of these uncircumcised. And listen to what he says. It may be that the Lord will work for us. It's an interesting phrase. Because at first it seems as if maybe Jonathan is hedging his bets. Maybe he's not really confident. He, it may be that the Lord will work for us. But I'd like to suggest that instead of lacking confidence, Jonathan was actually displaying humble hope. He was willing to wait on God. I wonder if part of why we don't know who we are or who God is is because we simply don't have space in our lives to ponder such things. Jonathan sets up a plan. It's actually a terrible plan. Friends, if you were going to go to battle against 20 other guys and you only got two... This is Jonathan's plan. Listen to his plan. Let's go and show ourselves. We're going to give up our position. And if they give up their strategic position, and they exhaust themselves, well, we won't attack. You can't, like, what? But if they engage us, and if they challenge us to scale the wall, the wall of rock, well, then we'll take them out. I mean, it's completely backwards. And it kind of looks like he's testing God. But I think he's actually exercising faith. If, if God didn't intervene, it, it was certainly... I mean, the only way for this plan to work is, is, is if God were to intervene. <clears throat> and I think he's exercising faith and he's waiting to discern if this is God's will. Jonathan clearly believes that God is able, but he needs to wait to see if this is God's heart. See, faith is a combination of action and waiting. All action, all action is just reckless living. And all waiting is just lazy idealism. Faith is a combination of action and waiting. Jonathan was willing to trust God each step of the way. He was willing to admit that he was wrong. He creates space for God to be God. He lays out a strategy to discern God's will. I don't know about you, but my tendency is to just drum up some emotional action and go full steam ahead, or to sit back and wait for God to show me the whole plan. <clears throat> but what we need to do is take one step, wait, 
listen, and then take another step. Wait, listen, and then another step. You see, this is a, this is a marathon. This is a slow, it's waiting. Listen, God doesn't always give us the next step until we take the first step. You get what I'm saying? See, the problem is, is most of us hate waiting. I, this week, I used up all the data on my plan. I don't know if anybody's done this before, but I have this little thing called safety mode on there, which is cool, right? Because it doesn't charge me more money, but it basically severely limits my data, like my, my ability to use data after I've used it up, right? And so for three days or so, I was having to like wait insanely long for things to load on my phone. And it was terrible. You know, it was just like, I'm just not used to that. I'm used to instant. I, I'm used to information at my fingertips. If I have a question, I don't ponder it. I don't wait to look at it later. No, I pull out my phone and I can have a, an answer for you in a second. <laughs> Jonathan knew that God wanted to work. He knew who he was. He knew who God was, but he was also willing to walk with God and wait. He didn't just run ahead and hope that God would bless his efforts. See, in a way, Jonathan had a small faith in himself and a big faith in God. The real work of God, friends, I think about my journey, the real work happens in the space in between. It happens in the silence, in the quiet, in the waiting. Any musicians here? I mean, music without rest without pause, would just be noise, right? Without the dynamics, we would not have music. If you just got up here and hit that bar chord straight for 20 minutes, I mean, I'm pretty sure nobody would appreciate that, <laughs> right? Uh, one leader, Rob Hoskins, wrote this, all beautiful music requires rest between the notes. In the rhythm of life, our most beautiful songs require rest. The problem is, is most of us can't bear silence. We just can't bear it anymore. Studies have shown that the average group of people today can only handle about 15 seconds of silence. We live in a plugged-in, always-on, information-obsessed culture that some, some say is literally killing us. I can't tell you how many articles I've read recently about the connection between anxiety and just our connection and always-on and having no rest. You know, because I, I wonder if some of those natural rhythms that we used to have, you know, that separated us from our work and our need to have it all figured out have been lost. There used to be like natural boundaries. Like you could get in a car and you couldn't be reached on a phone. So there was this time where it was like, well, all I have to do here is like ponder, <laughs> right? Or read, or I don't know, we're not reading and driving, but you get what I'm saying. Like, <laughs> like I can't take a phone, I couldn't take a phone in the car. Or I couldn't access the internet except for on my computer. Well, that, the moment the internet became accessible everywhere, I mean, it changes something. And, and psychologists or sociologists or whatever, they, they don't know exactly what that is doing to us yet because it hasn't been long enough. So we wrote, really don't even know like, what's happening you know, to our humanity as a result of this internet in our pockets. But it, it makes me wonder the boundaries that used to create space in our lives for us to reflect and to ponder and to think and to pray and to just be have been lost.
In that season when we lacked faith, I heard God say, I'm restoring your eyes of faith. Uh, God began to restore our eyes of faith and it changed the way I saw our situation. And it wasn't too long after that that I got a phone call from a pastor saying, hey Alex, we're, we're looking to start some churches in Delaware County. Would you come out here and partner with us? And we'd like to support you and partner with you. And, and, and it was crazy to me how God made a way for us to come here. And then we come here, and I moved to Havertown, and I left a, a full-time job at a church. I had an office and a title and a platform ministry, and I had some really cool stuff. I had benefits and, and a salary, <laughs> and, and, um, and I don't have really any of that right now. Um, <laughs> and you know what? It's really made me ask the questions of, who am I? And who is God? And it's pushed me create space in my life where I could ponder those things and where I could hear the voice of God. This last year in my life has been a movement towards silence. Actually, one of the most life-giving spiritual disciplines I've been practicing has been simply sitting still every morning. I have to get up, brother, before the kids are up. You know what I'm talking about because that's when the house is quiet. So at about 4.30 in the morning, I lug myself out of bed. I don't do it perfectly every day. I do it as best as I can, and I just literally sit, I put a cup of coffee on, and I sit there. And I don't think about what I have to do. Um, I don't read anything. I don't read the Bible. I, don't, I just sit, and I just, I just am trying to be. And it's, at first, it literally was like hard. Like my body was like doing weird things. Because like, we just don't do that. That's strange. And it began to show me how much I just, my brain is always on, it's always moving, and I just couldn't slow down, and I didn't know who I was, and all of a sudden I create this little stinking 10, 15, 20 minutes of silence has created space for me to just begin to learn who I am and who God is. So friends, who are you? Do you know your false self? Have you befriended your brokenness in order that you might take it off and be clothed again with the new self in Christ? Or are you standing on the ground of appearance? Do you know who you are as a child of God, adopted into his family? Jonathan knew who he was. He's part of the family of God. Do you know who God is? Nothing can hinder the Lord. Let's not forget that God is able. You know, do you know that God wants to use you? Do you know that he wants to partner with you? That you're part of his plan to heal the world? But that only comes when we have space to slow down and to listen and to wait. Because if we're running 100 miles an hour trying to be the hero of the story, trying to get God's blessing on what we're doing, I think we're going to miss it. Like Jonathan, I think we need, to, we need to take a step and say, it may be that the Lord wants me to go there, but I'm going to wait. I'm going to wait. And then I'm going to take a next step. And then the next step. Friends, God's kingdom invites us to move from being people concerned about what's happening on the outside to people that are concerned with who we are becoming on the inside. 
every conflict, every faith journey. It's not about what God's doing around you or through you, but it's what God's wanting to do in you. So are you paying attention? When that conflict arises in your life, are you paying attention to what is happening inside you? It's not just to brush the dirt off, to put on an entirely new set of clothes. Can we stand together? I'll pray for you. moment. We're just going to take 15 seconds and be silent. Maybe 17 because uh, well, we can handle 15 but we 17 we need to stretch ourselves a little bit. That's how we start friends. We, we do just a little bit more. If you've ever gone to the gym, right? You don't go lift 300 pounds on your first day. You, you, you start with where you're at and you take one more or two more or whatever. So let's just be silent for a few seconds. Jesus, I thank you that you're way more concerned about who we are becoming than what we do. You're way more concerned about who we are becoming than what we do and, and, and what we achieve and how much success or how much we fail. God, you are concerned with what's happening on the inside. For after all, you look at our hearts. As we approach the impossibilities and the, and the, the crisis of faith in life, may, may we... May, may what's happening on the inside be exposed. May we be willing to see it. Unlike folks like Joe DiMaggio and many others in our culture who, who try to live on this platform of how we appear. And, and God, maybe today in our culture of social media, it's so easy to just to, to concoct a cover story. But, but you're so much more concerned about what's happening on the inside. May we be willing to face who we really are so that we could shed those garments and put on the new self in Christ. May this church horizon be people that, that attend to the deep work of God of taking off this false self and, and bringing healing and wholeness to every area of our lives as we put on the new self in Jesus Christ. May we truly know who you are, Father, and who we are as your children. Remind us afresh each day. And may we find rhythms and habits in life to be still and to be silent and to just be. Just turn off the device or the TV or the noise and just to wait. Forgive us for running far ahead when you want to meet us right where we are. You don't need us to, to run off ahead to, to, to prove ourselves to you. We sang it earlier, God. We don't deserve it. There's nothing we can do to earn it. So forgive us for trying to earn it. Remind us that you come to us right where we are. And that you're not afraid to deal with us right as we are. <clears throat> Meet us in that place this week. Give us courage like Jonathan, Lord, just to take one step this week. And to see what you might do. Maybe it's just a minute of silence. Or maybe it's just reflecting on what we're becoming on the inside. And how we're navigating this storm of life that's around us. Give us courage. To be people that reflect and to deal with the work of God on the inside. 
In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. And thank you so much. You've been generous and gracious. Thank you, Pastor Alex. You guys are dismissed. <coughs>